Hi there, this is Bobby, and if you are just tuning in, you're listening to KSKQ, and the specific show that you have just tuned into is called Dream Infringement. That's right, Dream Infringement is a radio show made up of three friends, Bobby, Emily, and Jennifer, and we like to tell stories and play songs based on a weekly theme. And this week, we discovered the wonderful world of artificial intelligence. So, we decided to run our show through this AI generator. Just the intro, not yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we kind of fed it some information about our show, about our dynamic, and we decided to let the AI introduced the theme for the week. So we're going to do that. And Emily is having a hard time looking at the AI generated intro. <laughs> Apparently he, the human element really does get in the way of this kind of entertainment. Oh, my clumsy human form. All right. This week's theme is princesses. We are so excited to explore all the different ways in which this theme can be interpreted. We will be playing songs, telling stories, and discussing our own thoughts and opinions about the subject. We hope you will join us on this magical journey as we explore the wonderful world of princesses. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I mean, what more could you need, right? AI just did it all for us. Uh, your job will be determining if we've ran all of our actual stories through AI or if this is like flesh and blood stuff that we came up with. I just told them, though, that we only did the intro through oh. AI, so. Oh, okay. I wanted to, like, have a big oh, reveal at sorry. the end. Like, like, all right, the moment you've been waiting for, folks, this entire show has been generated through human brains. I don't know. I know this is a controversial subject. We're not going to tackle that right now. Maybe we'll save it for a future theme. But in the meantime, enjoy the first song of our themed show, Princesses. And that song is... The Princess and the Clock by Kiro Kiro Bonito. Aud the Deep-Minded was a Viking princess. Hailing from a military family, she was the second daughter of Norwegian military commander Kettle Flatnose and Ingvid Kettle's daughter. She sailed as a child with her family to the Hebrides, as her father styled himself a king of the Isles. He married her to Olaf the White, who was the king of Dublin in the 850s. Together they had a son named Thorstein the Red. However, Vikings didn't always make for good neighbors. For instance, Olaf liked to raid the tombs of Irish kings, which was not received well, and somehow Olaf died a little mysteriously, and one can probably assume not pleasantly. So Kettle Flatnose and his kin, including Odd, settled in Scotland, all except Thorstein the Red. Thorstein traveled to the Hebrides, married, and had six daughters, and one son. He became a great warrior king, conquering large parts of northern Scotland, and was considered a scourge by the Scots. 
He eventually made peace with them, but they betrayed him and killed him anyway, likely a plot against him from some disgruntled Scottish chiefs. Upon learning about the death of her son Thorstein, Odd, who was at Caithness, commissioned the construction of a Nar, a Viking era ship commonly built for Atlantic voyages. She had this ship built secretly in the forest, and once it was built and the winter was over, she gathered her kinsmen with their combined and considerable wealth, and escaped from Scotland. She sailed with twenty men under her command, and in addition to the crew there were other men on her ship, prisoners from Viking raids near and around the British Isles. They first went to the Orkneys and stayed for a while, and Odd married her granddaughter to a wealthy earl. After the Orkneys, Odd and her band traveled the Faroe Islands, where she married another granddaughter to an earl there. Her final destination was Iceland, where two of her brothers lived. She met one brother, who treated her stingily, which she did not appreciate. It was quite bad form to be stingy with silver or food, so she headed off to stay with her other brother, and he treated her well, so she stayed the winter with him. And from there she sailed around Iceland, claiming a great deal of land as her own, finally settling in Ham. Once settled, Odd was very generous. She told her followers, For your services you will be rewarded. We have now no lack of means to repay you for your efforts and your loyalty. She freed all the slaves and gave them land too. Later on, when her grandson married in Iceland, Odd hosted a huge wedding feast for him. As the evening progressed, Odd, who was an old woman, grew tired and retired to her bed. In the morning, her grandson found her dead. As legend had it, she died sitting upright among the pillows, and everyone at the feast was impressed at how well she kept her dignity, even in death. I'm assuming she built the ship in secret because there was some sort of danger or threat to her. And the fact that she was able to convince so many men to come with her, and also that she was able to command them, I mean, that's pretty impressive. She must have been a really strong person. It's so far back in history, there's a lot of things that just aren't known. This song is an English translation of an old Nordic chant by Natty Dread and Colin Vance featuring Johnny Stewart and it's called My Mother Told Me. My mother told me Someday I would buy Galleys with good oars And sails to distant shores Stand up high in the prow Alright, so this is Bobby and I'm sitting here with one of my two sons. You'll hear from Weston a little later on. But the first son that you will hear from is Indigo. He is five years old, and he chose a princess uh, based off of his own interests, which is video games. And Indigo, do you want to tell us who that princess is? Princess Peach. Very good. And what game is she from? Mario. Great. So Princess Peach is the princess you chose to talk about. Okay, Indigo, so to start things off... I have a question for you. Okay. What does Princess Peach look like? She has a golden crown and yellow hair and a pink dress. Very nice. Would you say she's beautiful? 
Yeah. Yeah. And um, let's see. And so what is her job? Oh, actually, let's let's start with this. Where does she live? In the Mushroom Kingdom. Very good, the Mushroom Kingdom. And what is her job in the Mushroom Kingdom? To keep things safe. That's a really good job. She sounds like she's a good princess. And so I know that there are some bad guys in the Mushroom Kingdom. Who are the bad guys and what it what do they have to do with Princess Peach? Um Bowser has to kidnap um Princess Peach in the game and Mario has to save Princess Peach. So Bowser tries to kidnap Princess Peach, yeah. and then Mario tries to save Princess Peach. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what does what's Bowser's deal? Like, what is he, uh, Bowser all about? I don't know. What does Bowser look like? He has a green shell with spikes on it, and he breathes fire, and he's giant. Wow, that sounds very scary. Yeah. That sounds very scary, and so he tries to kidnap Princess Peach. Why do you think he's trying to kidnap Princess Peach? Because he's a bad guy. That's what bad guys do. And also, he's a turtle. Mm -hmm. A mutated turtle. That's a good way of describing him. I've seen Bowser, and he does look like a mutated turtle. And why does Mario want to save Princess Peach? To marry her. Mario's in love with Princess Peach. Yeah. I think they would make a really nice couple. Yeah. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking about Princess Peach Indigo. I appreciate that. Thank you. Goodbye. And now I am joined by my nine-year-old son, Weston. He is an avid gamer, specifically a game that has brought him much joy and has been a major part of his video game interest. And I'm going to let him tell you what game that is. Um, the game I'm really interested in is uh, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And specifically, the character that we're going to focus on tonight is the character of Princess Zelda. She is a main part of the game, and Weston's going to explain what she's about, what her deal is, and why she's important to the game. And in doing so, we fulfill our obligation towards covering the theme of princesses. So Weston, talk about this Princess Zelda. Yes, indeed, I will. Now, gather around all my children of Zelda and people that just kind of know about Zelda and are gamers. So, yeah, um, I'm talking about Princess Zelda. Um, her father is King Bosphoramus, and he, I mean, King Roham, that's his last name. Um, he, he does a really bad job of being her father, but... Yeah, he's like... So what is it about him that makes him a bad father? He neglected her. He's like, you're terrible. You're doing a bad job being princess. And yeah, so... Is that is through that struggle, was she able to kind of like succeed in other ways? Do you think in, her, in your opinion that she's a bad princess? Um, no, she's a great princess. She does. She she appointed these four people called the champions, which pilot these things called divine beasts, and they're these giant beasts that are said to defeat Calamity Ganon, which is the main antagonist of the game. 
And so, yeah, more about um, Zelda. She is, um, she has, like, an English accent, and she absolutely, in the beginning stages of the game, she despises Link. But at the end of the game, she loves Link for no apparent reason, mostly because I think Link, like, destroyed Ganon. But, yeah, you know, he's, she and him, mostly the royal family is very questionable in some of the things that they've done and yeah um her triforce is i think like uh, courage or something i'm yeah anyways if i'm wrong then please do not like hunt me down <laughs> if you're a zelda fan thank you so much for that exposition weston for the zelda game and zelda lore uh i have another question for you how would you describe Zelda's personality? Like, what is she about? What's she about? Well, she really likes this type of frog that can be used to make potions. And in one cutscene of the game, she's like, Link, eat this frog. And it's always appeared for a really funny thing. There's also this flower themed after her called the Silent Princess. And she's like, it can only be... And at the beginning stages of the game, the cutscenes, she's like... She's like, it can only be, um, you can only, you have to, like, find a certain seed to grow it, but you have to, like, it has to be man-made, and it can't be forged in, like, an actual, like, place, um, where there's, like, vegetation and stuff, and it's called the Silent Princess, and she's very quiet. She, she's, like, you know, I think, like, she's 13 or 14 or something like that she's really young but she looks really old and in the end of the game i think she's like 30 or something because like of course like a year like 15 like i don't know like 20 years has passed for link to do this and you know it's just it's all around a really good backstory and i feel like the game's really good and the key thing that stood out to me was princess zelda so what do you think are the qualities that make her a good princess? She, she's very on spot. You know, whenever she's like giving a speech, not a speech, just like telling orders, she's like, no room for argument. This is what's going to happen. I'm making it happen. And even if something's wrong, you know, she absolutely crushes her job at being a princess. It's, yeah. What do you think makes a good princess, Weston? a very not just kind of being like no room for argument this is what we're doing you cannot tell me anything that just not like not bossy not a bossy princess but you know just something kind of like like assertive yeah assertive an assertive princess that's what i think makes a good princess very good thank you so much weston for uh, explaining to us uh, Princess Zelda, maybe you've heard of the game and maybe you thought Zelda just was just a, a, a creative title for the game, but it actually, there's a backstory and uh, hopefully Weston, he could shed some light on Zelda lore and mythology and thank you so much for answering my questions and sitting down with me, Weston. You're very welcome. The song that I chose is Lead the Way by Janae Aiko. Um, I chose it because I thought it really fit the um, theme of Zelda because, yeah, it's just, it really fits it. So, enjoy! We have a choice to build or destroy to fight or to come together 
Hey, Bobby. Yo, Emily. What's up? Um, have you ever heard of the story of Princess Caribou? Um, I can't say that I have. Well, I'm going to tell you the story now. Oh, I'm so glad that you followed up what I said with what you said, because I just don't think that this piece would have shown any hope if you weren't going to explain to me something that I don't know about that you asked me about. Yeah, it would be a lot of, well, a small amount of buildup for nothing if I was like, hmm, well, anyway, what's for dinner? <laughs> Although I would have been okay with that because I haven't eaten dinner yet. And that's a question that actually um, really kind of hits home with me. Oh, no. Okay. Try to focus on this story and not dinner. Dinner dinner after. Okay. Dinner if I'm a good boy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, okay. So this is the story of the mysterious Princess Caribou. And a lot of it I'm just going to be reading from the history press on the internet because I didn't have time to put it in my own words. I had time. I just, I just didn't do it. So, uh, without further ado, this is about Princess Caribou. Let's hear it. On the evening of Maundy Thursday in 1817, what's Maundy Thursday, you ask? I oh. asked the same thing. Is that that, like, secret eighth day of the week that everybody wishes existed, but the government obviously will never get to it because they can barely, like, do away with daylight savings time? I don't know. It, no, it's not that. I don't know what you're talking about. It sounds like a conspiracy theory. <laughs> But no, Maundy Thursday is just the Thursday before um, Easter Sunday, so. Okay, yeah. That yeah. Sounds, sounds about right. Sure. Um, okay. A young woman wearing colorful, colorful Eastern dress was seen wandering through the sleepy village of Almondsbury. Is it Gloucestershire? Because that's how it's spelled. But it's probably something like Gloucestershire. Anyway. Uh, she was in this small village eight miles north of Bristol. She was wearing a black stuff gown with a muslin frill at the neck, a red and black shawl around her shoulders, and a black cotton shawl on her head. She carried a small bundle on her arm containing a few necessities, including soap and a few half pennies and a bad sixpence, which I think meant, like, counterfeit? All fake money fake money okay. okay villagers watched as the woman in her mid-20s knocked at the door of a cottage the home of the village cobbler and uttered strange words to the owners she talked in a language that no one could understand but by her signs the cobbler realized that she was asking for food and shelter give given some bread and milk she also mimed that she wanted to sleep However, the cobbler's wife was not happy about admitting this stranger to her house, and so she was taken to the overseer of the poor, Mr. Hill, whose job it was to bring anyone suspected of vagrancy before the justice of the peace. He took her to Knoll Park House, the home of Samuel, Samuel Warall, the town clerk of Bristol, and a magistrate. Being kindly people, he and his wife Elizabeth gave the woman hospitality and tried to discover more about her background, but to no avail. 
so the couple was a lot nicer than the other one. Although I might be a little uh, suspicious of a lady coming to my door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but we also have the internet now, so I feel oh, like yeah. the mystery would be solved rather quickly. Yeah. All you gotta do is consult fast people search. <laughs> yeah. Or like, uh, you know, type it into type your your experience into what's that? Those like neighborhood uh, internet uh, websites where <laughs> yeah. they social like it's a social network for like people who live in an, in the same neighborhood. Yeah, they'd all be like, "Hey, have you guys seen this girl? She's walking around. I don't think she's, I think she's uh she's poor. She's a poor person. Take her to the poor magistrate." Yeah, and people would be like, oh, yeah, I've seen her before. Yeah, I don't, she she seems shady. I don't ask her questions. I just go on with my business. And then someone else is like, I think she's just hungry. Someone just give her some bread and milk. And then another person is like, OMG, the cobbler's wife, she's so stingy, and she never does anything for anyone anyway. Of course she wouldn't help this poor lady. Yeah, and then another person's like, I recovered my linens from whence they came in the deepest bowels of my my cottage and I placed them on the corner of my cobblestone road and someone thought that they had been placed there for free for no uh money whatsoever and then proceeded to take them when i was not watching and now i am missing my linens because someone thought that they were of no monetary uh trade so what should i do and then someone else replies to that comment and they're like start ye your new thread this thread is about the lady that no one knows who she is and we don't understand her and then someone says how can i stop clicking on emojis that don't actually represent the way that i am feeling and now we've reached the part where the 18th the 19th century neighborhood watch uh app falls apart because there is no internet and there are no emojis that's true yeah and then the comment original comment was deleted <laughs> oh yeah that too well we really uh, veered wildly off course okay back to the story so this mysterious young woman is now in the care of elizabeth and samuel worrell um, they gave her hospitality and they tried to figure out more about her background but they just they just couldn't do it. They didn't know, still. And at first, it was obvious that the woman could not remain at Knoll. She was a homeless girl with a counterfeit coin in her pocket, and it was out of the question for someone in Worrell's position to harbor someone who could be a criminal. However, she had made quite an impression on Elizabeth, and she arranged for the woman to be given a room at the local inn called the Bowl. At the time, botanical prints were all the rage and popular as decorative items, and on the wall of the inn's parlor was a picture of a pineapple. Pineapples? Well, that was a precious commodity back then, was it not? 
I believe it was. Now, the mysterious woman pointed to the picture and said the word nanas, which is Indonesian for pineapple. The effect was electrifying. The witnesses were convinced that the exotic fruit was from the mysterious stranger's homeland and assumed her to be from Asia. They're like, we're putting this mystery, we're solving it, we're solving the mystery. I'm so excited. She was then invited back to Knoll by Elizabeth. The young woman had some curious habits, including an interest in Chinese imagery, sleeping on the floor, and going onto the roof of the Worrell's home to pray. The woman apparently called herself caribou and only drank tea and ate vegetables. Mr. Worrell, however, was still unsure and declared that the lady was a beggar who should be taken to Bristol and tried for vagrancy. Wow, he really turned. Yeah, that's that does not sound like a very good man. Well, I mean, she ends up not being who she says she is, so... I mean, what happened to to living in a world where you just take a person's word for it, you know? <laughs> it definitely wasn't in 1817. There have always been intuitive, suspicious people. All right. So the mysterious woman was taken to Bristol to be examined by the mayor and then on to St. Peter's Hospital, which cared for vagrants. However, she caused so many problems there that she was put back to the Worrell's care. I don't know what the problems were. She was inciting riots? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe they were like, this is just too confusing. We don't understand what's happening. Go back. I love that the mayor is doing an inspection on her. He's like, hmm. I can see him like like a mustache a mustachioed mayor right yeah like huge mutton chops Ugh. white white hair i'm not enjoying this yeah. vision of this woman being scrutinized he's by like yep she weird the mayor <laughs> he's like send her back this is crazy <laughs> this woman is not who she says she is <laughs> Okay, by now, word had spread of the attractive foreign stranger, and curious members of society came to visit the woman known as Caribou. The stranger was being treated like a visiting head of state. Wow, that that really turned around suddenly. She got popular. After around 10 days, Caribou was introduced to a Portuguese sailor, Manuel Ineso, who could apparently understand her language. He translated her story. The woman claimed to be Princess Caribou of Javasu, an island in the Indian Ocean who had been kidnapped from her home by pirates and held captive on their ship. She claimed to have escaped by jumping overboard into the Bristol Channel and swimming ashore. For ten weeks, Princess Caribou danced exotically for the magistrate's friends, used a bow and arrow, fenced, prayed to her god whom she named Alatala, and even swam naked in the lake when she was on her own. Having become something of a a celebrity, she acquired exotic clothing, had her portrait painted, and even had a ball and bath held in her honor. Her authenticity was attested to by a Dr. Wilkinson, who identified her language using Edmund Fry's pantographia and stated that that marks on the back of her head were the work of surgeons. (sighs) I didn't know up until this point that there were marks on the back of her neck but here we go (laughs) by all accounts princess caribou is having a wonderful time until the landlady of a boarding house in bristol recognized the description of the woman in a newspaper report 
she had provided her with lodgings some six months earlier. When confronted by her landlady, Princess Caribou had no trouble speaking English. She's like, oh, the rent I owe? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, uh, see, the thing is... Um... Her ruse, which had gone on for three months, was over. It transpired that the self-styled princess was really... <gasps> Mary Wilcox. Oh, that's not a really cool sounding name. <laughs> no, it's not. She came from Witheridge in Devon. She was no princess, but the daughter of a cobbler. Apparently, she adopted the disguise in the hope that it would make her more interesting. Well, I mean, success. She succeeded. By now, Mr. Worrell had also received word from academics about Caribou's native script, which he had earlier asked to write down and then sent to Oxford University for examination. The academics described it as a humbug language and treated it as a joke. So I guess that means made up. <laughs> um, the odd marks on Mary's head were scars, scars from a crude wet cupping operation, a procedure intended to relieve pressure on an overheated brain in which the back of the head was shaved, the skin scarred with parallel blades and hot glasses applied to catch the blood. Oh, fun stuff. Goodness, that sounds this. I don't think you can blame this lady for any of the things nah. that she's done. If this is the solution to a what is it, an overheated brain? Yeah. I wonder what what that would manifest itself as know. from back then. Probably like lady problems. They were always Maybe like, like anxiety. Her brain is overheated. Someone quickly get the blades and the cups <laughs> to catch the blood. Ugh. Oh, goodness. Anyway, um, Mary Wilcox, formerly known as Princess Caribou, expressed a wish to go to America, so Mrs. Worrell generously arranged for her passage to Philadelphia, accompanied by a chaperone. That's so sweet. The journey, however, was not uneventful. Of course it wasn't. Mary's fame was such that she was popularly linked to one of the great romantic figures of the age, Napoleon, then exiled to St. Helena. It was reported in Felix Farley's Bristol Journal in that Mary Wilcox had gone ashore at St. Helena and met Napoleon, who was said to have found her enchanting. Mary Wilcox stayed in America for seven years before returning to England. She made one last appearance as Princess Caribou in a London gallery, where she charged visitors a shilling to see her. The fake princess then returned to Bristol and married a Robert Baker, 10 years her senior, and set up business in Bedminster as an importer and seller of leeches, which was then an important medical commodity. Oh, yeah. You know that, like, leeches were, like, as, they were, like, as popular as, like, Nikes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> One of her clients was the Bristol Infirmary. Their daughter, Marianne, was born around 1829. When Mary Baker died in 1864 at the age of 75, she was buried in an unmarked grave in Hebron Ch Churchyard, Southville. Her daughter, Marianne, carried on the business of selling leeches. Wow. What a, what a tale. Yeah, I love that she, like, turned this, like, this potentially uh deceiving plan that she, i mean she did deceive everybody but then <laughs> she did but she turned it into like a lucrative business yeah so the moral of the story is 
If you don't know what to do with your life, come up with a completely different personality and character for yourself. Dedicate yourself to that character. Um, Be charming. Be attractive. And, like, get popular. (laughs) And then fall from grace. (laughs) And then rise back up. Mm -hmm. Make some rich friends along the way. And then start your own Mm -hmm. business. Yeah. It truly was a hero's journey. Uh, or if you accidentally fall into a wormhole that sends you back in time into the era of Princess Caribou, get yourself in the leech business because there's money there. Yeah, I mean, medical sale, like medical equipment sales, that's still a thing. Yeah, and people are making bank off of that. <laughs> so, I mean, I assume so, so. Yeah. All right. Well, the song I chose for this story is called Caribou. It's spelled differently, though. Um, And it's by the Pixies. I was going to talk about the two most recent Japanese princesses that have abdicated the throne for love. And they're actually cousins. So in Japan, a prince can marry a commoner without having to abdicate his throne. But a princess is not allowed to. She's also not allowed to ascend to the crimson throne, which is becoming a little bit more problematic because the birth rate in Japan is low and the royal family is shrinking. Right now, it seems to all kind of rest on the shoulders of one 14-year-old boy to continue the bloodline. The first was Princess Ayako, who was born in 1990, which makes me feel old. She became formally engaged in a ceremony in 2018 to a businessman named Kame Moroya, who worked for a shipping firm. The two were first introduced to each other in 2017, by Ayako's mother, Princess Takamoto, who had been a friend of Kei's parents. When they met, Ayako told reporters that it didn't feel as though they had met for the first time. And Kei said he had been attracted to her gentle spirit and knew he wanted to spend the rest of his life with her. When they married, the government bestowed almost about a million dollars allowance to the couple. She said that she will remain close to all of her relatives, saying, I will leave the imperial family today, but I will remain unchanged in my support for His Majesty and Her Majesty. She also said, I am awed by how blessed I am. I am filled with happiness. And her husband said that he hoped to help her adjust to a commoner's life, saying, I want us to work together, hand in hand, to create a family filled with smiles. And since their wedding in 2018, they've had three kids. So he was not kidding about creating a family. (laughs) Hopefully it's filled with smiles. In the pictures of them, they do look really happy. And just how they talk about each other, it's very romantic. So it sounds like a much better life than being a princess. (laughs) So the second story is of her cousin, Princess Mako, who met her husband, also named Kei, Kumoru in college in 2012. They had originally announced their engagement in 2017, and they had planned to get married in 2018, but then their wedding got 
postponed for a while because Kay's mother had been involved in a financial dispute with her former fiance and it was getting a lot of negative attention in the press and the imperial family was just like we don't approve this we don't want to be associated with this later he was able to pay the debt and they released a statement that announced that they would be getting married and they had an incredibly simple wedding they didn't want taxpayers to have to pay for a really lavish and expensive wedding they turned down the government allowance again almost a million dollars and she was the first female member of the imperial family to decline the official wedding ceremony and gift of money from the government she said we will be starting a new life and i'm sure we will encounter difficulties along the way but just as we have until now i want to continue joining forces with Kay, walking together side by side what I would like is just to lead a peaceful life in my new environment. Later it would come out that she'd been diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder because of having to deal with all the criticism from family members and the media just constantly from her teenage years all throughout her adult years. Currently, she's an intern at the Metropolitan in New York, and her husband Kay works for a law firm. The press has been very closely following his career and his attempts to take the bar exam. He finally passed on his third try, which is a little bit unusual, but the bar exam tutors say the test is especially difficult for non-native English speakers. I cannot imagine it's fun to fail a test and know that every single person in your home country knows about it, but they seem to be adjusting and thriving in their new life in New York and looking at their pictures. They seem happy, uh, but their love story went on for a very long time. It took them almost 10 years from the time they, they met and dated and got engaged to when they were able to get married, which shows a lot of perseverance and patience on their part. It'll be better for her mental health to no longer be in the spotlight like that. I'm sure people will go to the Metropolitan Museum, maybe looking for her, see if she's around. I, I would, I mean, if I, I wouldn't go there specifically for that, but if I was at the Met, I would keep an eye out because it's just, it's kind of cool. This song is called Tracing That Dream by Yoasobi. <laughs> Thank you to all our listeners and to Miriam for joining us today on Dream Infringement. We hope you enjoyed hearing about princesses from all over the world and their stories. Join us next week for another exciting episode. Until then, have a great week and keep dreaming. Wasn't that a nice uh, conclusion generated by artificial intelligence? Oh, it's wild what technology can do. Uh, anyway, yeah, this is the end of the show. And all of those things I said earlier, even though they were written by a robot, um, they're all true. And I really liked the end where it said, keep dreaming. Because what are we without dreams and hopes and aspirations? You know, an AI doesn't have those things. 
sure an AI could say it has those things, but we all know that's not true. We all know that they're just programmed by us humans with the real hopes and dreams uh, to say those things about hopes and dreams. And um, while I have you here for about 30 more seconds, uh, why don't you, when the show's over, go to kskq.org, check out some of the other cool shows happening on KSKQ. You can always reach out to us personally on Dream Infringement. We are Dream Infringement at Gmail, Dream Infringement on Facebook, Dream Infringement on Instagram. Uh, tell us, tell us about your own AI stories. Have you, have you dabbled in the world of AI? <laughs> we want to know. <laughs> We're wildly into it right now. All right, that's it from us. We hope you all have a, a good a good night, and um, we love you, Miriam, and we'll see you all next week. Goodbye!